or lasso. So as we enter the second phase of mindfulness of breathing, I'd just like to remind you of our What's it called? Ubiquitous mental disorder. And that is the obsessive compulsive delusional disorder. And the shamatha, all modes of shamatha are designed to remedy this really quite terrible disorder of the mind. So with mindfulness of breathing, we're explicitly going to undermine, to release the obsessive part. And that is these toxic emissions from a dysfunctional mind of, you know, just the ongoing flow of obsessive thought. So mindfulness of breathing directly addresses that. And in, in addressing it by simply releasing the thoughts and, and allowing the mind to flow in a non-discursive, non-obsessive flow of just mindfulness, then the obsessive part being gone, the compulsive part is also gone, and the delusional part is gone. So you snip it right at the, right at the root, right? Hmm. As you know, in the, in the next practice, settling the mind, we allow the obsessive flow to continue unabated. We just step back and allow it to flow, but we cut it at the compulsive part. And that is the point, part of cognitive fusion where we get caught up and carried away by the thoughts. We enter into the thoughts, distracted by the thoughts. And by becoming distracted by the thoughts, carried away by them, then we enter into the obsessive, compulsive, delusional part. That is, if we're not doing the practice correctly, the obsessive thoughts arise, we compulsively fuse with them, and then we deludedly mistake the thoughts for that which they are not, namely reality outside of the thoughts. So the parallel with a non-lucid dream is really, really strong. So, just a little bit of standing back here, and then I'd like to jump into the practice. I've mentioned so many times now that the criteria of progress that the practice is working is that there is a greater sense of ease, stability, and vividness in the mind. Another way of looking at it, which is again equally valid, is, is the obsessive flow of thoughts, is it subsiding? More importantly, is the compulsive fusion with those thoughts, being totally carried away by them, is that diminishing? And more importantly yet, is the delusional, how do you say, confusion of mistaking the thoughts for reality, is that subsiding? So those are pretty big deal. And to my mind, uh, however long it might take to overcome these really harmful tendencies, it's worth it. So whether progress is slow or fast, to my mind, these are really terrible qualities of the mind. They are dysfunctional qualities. There's a third element, though, and another criteria by which we can judge whether our practice is working, and this brings us right to feet on the ground in the world, not just being in retreat, meditating six, eight, ten hours a day, but out in the world. Is the practice working more generically, not just the shamatha practice, but overall our spiritual practice? Is it doing anything? Is it really helping? And there's a very good criterion for this, and this is really classic Buddhism, and that is, in, the, in Tibetan, it's tenje bayu three absolutely indispensable instruments or faculties of the mind that are utilized and refined along the path. The first of these is mindfulness, we know well. The second one is introspection, we know well. And the third one is conscientiousness. Conscientiousness, the term figures in the Pali, the Sanskrit, the Tibetan, of enormous import. And conscientiousness is a kind of a quality of care but conscientiousness is probably the best translation. And that is, as we apply mindfulness, 
to our daily activities, to the world around us, to other people and so forth, we apply introspection to monitor in this reflexive way what's going on in the mind, what's going on in our speech and also how we are conducting ourselves with our body. So introspection is not just for the mind, but a reflexive awareness of body, speech and mind and how we're engaging with the world. As introspection is monitoring this, then conscientiousness is where the real wisdom comes in, recognizing, is this appropriate behavior? Is this something, is this wholesome, is it unwholesome? Is this detrimental, is it beneficial? And really is there to put on the brakes put on the brakes when we see we're flowing into modes of speech, of physical behavior and so forth uh, that can be unhelpful, can actually be harmful. Well, this conscientiousness begins at, begins at home. That is, in the mind, as in the Dhammapada, all phenomena are preceded by the mind, are founded on the mind and consist of the mind. For one who acts with an unwholesome mind or an impure mind, suffering follows like the cartwheel follows the, the hoof of the ox. And so the conscientiousness is really here, its primary focus is the mind itself and attending to what is occurring, the type of thoughts, emotions, desires, intentions that are arising, and carefully attending to them and seeing which are helpful, which are not helpful, and then releasing the unhelpful and following the helpful. So the criteria, so once again, rubber hitting the road, is the practice working or not, is through our practice of shamatha, the four measurables, whatever else we're doing, are we finding that we are less and less prone to engaging in acts of the mind, which are really harmful, unwholesome, detrimental, acts of speech that are unwholesome speech, acts of body, physical actions that are unwholesome, harmful to ourselves and others, let alone doing great magnanimous, benevolent, compassionate actions in the world, which is wonderful. But if we can really just stem the flow of unwholesome activity from body, speech, and mind, that's a tremendous boon, and that's a sign that the practice is working. So, we have two modes when the obsessive thoughts, final point, and we jump in. Two modes, two responses, in, the, in response to the obsessive flow of thoughts. One of these is, first of all, to recognize it and release it. And that's what we do in mindfulness of breathing. And the other one is, in the face of or in response to the obsessive flow of thoughts, recognize it and just be present with it without distraction, without grasping. Any, anything else that is just slipping right back into the obsessive, compulsive, delusional flow is just digging our trench deeper in samsara. So, not helpful. So, let's have one session. In this session, we begin the delicate balance of a deepening of the sense of ease and relaxation in the body and the mind, but now coupled with, synergistically, the cultivation of stability, the temporal continuity of mindfulness. Let's begin, as always, by settling the body in its natural state and the respiration in its natural rhythm.
set your mind at ease in the present moment. Clearly illuminating the sensations correlated with the in and out breath throughout the body. <clears throat> Relaxing deeply with every out breath. Some of you have mentioned that it takes you 15 minutes or longer to actually get up to speed or to really enter into the meditation. I would encourage you to overcome this habit. Slip into the meditation as swiftly as possible with the awareness there's no time to lose. And this is with a strong intention not to bear down and squeeze the mind, but a strong intention to release and to let go. Let's focus more narrowly now the attention on the tactile sensations of the breath at the level of the abdomen, noting the sensations of the abdomen expand and contract with each in and out breath. And right from the beginning, to rein in this obsessive flow of thought You may try counting the breaths. One brief count at the end of each inhalation. Apart from that, let the mind be silent and continually engaged with the sensations of the breath at the level of the abdomen. Time being, you may just count one through ten, one through ten, insofar as it's helpful to quiet this obsessive mind. Sustain this strong intention to 
relax, to release the tension in the body, release the breath, and release all involuntary thoughts with every out-breath. Every out-breath without exception. And with each in-breath, arouse and focus your attention, thereby overcoming excitation on the out-breath and laxity on the in-breath.
Maintain as continuously as possible the flow of mindfulness, attending to the full body of the breath, the whole course of the inhalation, the whole course of the exhalation, and intermittently apply introspection to the body to see that it's still balanced between relaxation and vigilance. Attend to the breath, that it's flowing unimpededly and effortlessly, and attend to the mind, noting whether it's falling into excitation or laxity, and if so, apply the appropriate remedy. Let's continue practicing now in silence.
bring the session to a close. To give a very brief recap of just these three terms, mindfulness, and I'll be speaking out of the Mahayana tradition, definitions are very clear. Mindfulness is this mental faculty by which we can continuously engage with a chosen object, a familiar object, without forgetfulness. So its opposite is forgetfulness, and therefore it's a type of recollection. So mindfulness could be of the breathing, it could be of the visual field, it could really be of anything at all. That's mindfulness. But it's a not forgetfulness, the sustaining flow of continual engagement. Introspection is this monitoring of the state of the body, the activities of the body, movements of hand and so forth. Monitoring of the speech, the tone, the, the volume, the quantity, the content of speech. And then, as we very well know, in the, especially in the practice of shamatha, the practice of introspection is primarily attending to the mind, monitoring the flow of the mind, the thoughts, images, desires, emotions, and so forth. And so introspection is always reflexive, and that's why I choose this translation over the common translation from the Theravada tradition, which is clear comprehension, which to me is just too vague, because introspection is always reflexive. And then we have this conscientiousness, another mighty term in the Buddhist tradition, all Buddhist traditions, and this is the one that really cares about our well-being. It's really caring. It's like choosing food and choosing food that you know is really nutritious for you, you can digest and so forth, that's not disease, not stale, and not poisonous and so forth. And so it's the conscientiousness that monitors once again the body, our speech, our minds, but now it's, it's intrinsically ethical. Not as some, a judge, like you better do this, you better not do that, but in a very loving and conscientious way, what modes of behavior of body, speech and mind are conducive to my own and others' well-being and which are not. The primary target for conscientiousness is the mind because the mind is the forerunner of them all and recognizing as swiftly as possible when the mind has come under the domination of a mental affliction, whether it's delusion, craving, hostility, or any of their derivatives. And it's important to recognize the mind is not always equally under the, the domination of any one of these. Sometimes really strong craving and attachment arises, we recognize that, and then we can apply antidotes, make sure it doesn't become contagious. Sometimes the mind becomes very upset with anger, hostility, and so forth. With conscientiousness, we see that it doesn't become contagious by flowing out the mouth, out the body, and so forth. And so final point, and that is one of the great aphorisms from Tibetan Buddhism, the Kadamba Geshe, or from the Kadampa tradition, when the mental afflictions arise that is speaking out of this perspective, this practice of conscientiousness with introspection and mindfulness, when the mental afflictions really rise up and are, you know, like laying siege to my mind, that's when I rise up with mindfulness. You know, that's when I'm really on my guard. Now I'm being attacked, I'm being assaulted, my mind is really going to be damaged here. So when they're on the assault, then I arise up with very strong conscientiousness, introspection, and mindfulness. When the um, mental afflictions taper off, they just go back into simmer mode, 
just quietly bubbling in the background, then I can relax. Then I don't have to be so extremely on guard. So what's the difference between these three during, during meditation and between sessions? During meditation, the focus of mindfulness is simply the meditative object. During meditation. In between session, it could be eating, it could be walking, it could be doing a bit of reading, swimming, and so forth. Mindfulness can be directed anywhere. While we're just sitting here, once in a while we'll check up the body and the, and the breathing, but mostly with introspection, we're monitoring the mind. And when we're just sitting here, mostly we're monitoring with conscientiousness the mind also. In between sessions, mindfulness can go everywhere. Introspection should be really attending to body, speech, and mind, because they're probably all, at least here, body and mind are engaged, speech hopefully mostly silent, and conscientiousness. That especially, very, very prominent, very important in between sessions, just to make sure we're not doing anybody any damage. Okay? And if we're not, that's a really good sign. Okay, so let's have a good damage-free day. I'll see you a bit later this afternoon.